Welcome everybody to Way of the Blade, the podcast. I'm your host, Phil Schneider, author of Way of the Blade, 100 of the Greatest Bloody Matches in Professional Wrestling History, and a writer for the Skuna Kaida blog. And I am pleased to be uh, joined by Oliver Bateman, who writes about pro wrestling uh, for The Ringer, uh, covers all their obituaries, so when your favorite wrestler dies, uh, he's going to write something very cool about it a couple days later, and he also covers uh, like strength and powerlifting for Mel Magazine and Men's Health. Uh, Oliver, man, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Phil. Great to be here. And, and as we do on this podcast, we take one match from the book and sort of chat about it and talk about it, uh, what we liked about it. And we're covering today uh, The Gangsters versus The Thugs from May 20th, 1995, Smoky Mountain Wrestling. And uh, one of the reasons I thought this would be a good one for you to talk about is I know you had written a very uh, entertaining new Jack I said it's yes. a weird word for a for a uh, obituary, but a very interesting Detailed. New Jack obituary for the for the ringer and and I didn't know this uh, until you told me, but had written a Tracy Smothers one at well yes. that was yes. uh, that was turf because they didn't want to put a big picture of a guy with a Confederate flag on the front page of the ringer. Understandable. Uh, so you did. I, I'm assuming a fair amount of research on these guys. Uh, yes. You know, prior to do that, why don't you actually tell me a little bit about sort of your process? For doing obituaries, do you have a bunch of obituaries pre-written? The way everybody's got like George W. Bush's obituary pre-written at the Washington Post. Are you just waiting, <laughs> or do you sort of when when somebody passes on, you kind of get get into the research then? Well, I, I'm like a shoot interview and wrestling autobiography junkie. So you know, just like in my spare time, I'm I'm reading. You know, uh, I'd read New Jack's autobiography like a couple months earlier. I didn't think he was going to die or anything. I just wanted to see what went down. I actually was reading it because of the Smothers death earlier. And so I was like, I'm going to read the New Jack piece, see if there's anything about Smothers in it. And didn't, not much, uh, you know, not, not too much in there. But what I do is I have a Kindle. So I just, I'm just taking notes as I go through these books and I tab them out. Um, if they're, if I'm watching them on YouTube, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll put them in my, uh, my history on there or I'll save them, um, in my YouTube account so that I have these things all queued up. And if somebody dies, I have this stuff ready to go and I can usually turn something around for the editor. My editor there is David Shoemaker, who used to also write wrestling obituaries. That that's how his. he started too, right? He was like the, uh, uh, we for were, uh, Deadspin. I remember that. Yeah, would... Way back at Deadspin, we became friends uh, at, when he was at Grantland. And when he started focusing more on the podcast, we, we basically brought the feature back of, of wrestler obituaries. And uh, over time, he's let me write more and more like go longer and longer. So I go into detail, like with the, and there's a couple things I like to really do with every obituary, uh, with new Jack, the book, his own book didn't make it clear, but I went back and dug out Jerome Young's college football, like clips from newspapers.com. Like the, I went out that those didn't exist, uh, until I put them in there. I dug out his high school football, Stuff and he actually was a like he says in the book he was a he was a good player he played at Clark University Atlanta and uh, I so I have all this stuff and I what, I, what position I kinda, was New Jack uh, like a defensive back or something or a strong safety and and high school both ways so he was like a running back uh, slash defensive back and then in college he was exclusively a defensive secondary guy I don't know if he was a safety or a back but he was. 
his his thing was defense. So there's like a lot of newspaper clips about him recovering fumbles. Um, high school, there's stuff about him scoring touchdowns that way. But in college, it's all like defensive. Not fumble. a lot of secondary uh, pro wrestlers, right? You got a lot of D defensive and offensive linemen. Uh, I, I wouldn't have thought it. Like New Jack was not uh, was kind of. I wouldn't have picked him as like a, a former like strong or free safety or anything. But then again, it was almost a decade from when he did it. He just didn't look like it, you know. He was. Uh, I can kind of see him as a guy who's who maybe isn't going to go uh, go stride for stride with a wide receiver, but a guy who's going to come off the end and and crash a guy. Maybe a good special teams guy, but I can see that he's kind of a lunatic. Uh, <laughs> and I mean, at, this, at this stage in his career, he's still pretty. He can still work. He's working pretty well. Uh, he's pretty. He's pretty quick. And, and uh, Smoky Mountain, he's like as fit as I saw him over his career. Like I knew, I remembered him mainly from ECW. And like Smoky Mountain, he's fit. Mustafa Saeed is like a brick house. He's a big but, dude. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he is, and he can move. Like he's got that pump handle slam. He's got a nice. Uh, He's got a number of nice, like, little slams that he does. He's got a good power slam. But New Jack was doing some pretty crisp stuff, like a crisp clothesline and things like that. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, he's he is smaller than Mustafa by by quite a bit. So I could see him maybe being a little bit leaner. And But that was an interesting thing. So, like, when one of these guys dies, basically, I have all this material that I, I pull together into a, a story. And the more of them I do, the more the story – kind of becomes clear. I, I really try to focus on the early days a lot because sometimes that's not known or it's made up. I try to see what I can confirm. <laughs> Every so often I get a fact wrong, like, or I just, I'm, it's not like I'm rushing and something like looks like it. it's... Uh, right, it's got to be tough to try to be a journalist in a, when it, it, covering like just liars. <laughs> oh, it covering liars and then covering like 40 years of history in some cases. So like yeah. when Bobby Eaton passed away and I wrote that obituary, I, had, I worked with Coco Ware on that. So, like, everything from Coco Beware is Sweet Brown Sugar up, I had really, really good info on. But then I had this one passage on the original Midnight Express, uh, Norvell Austin and uh, Randy Rose and Dennis Condry. And I think I just, like, the sentence indicates that, like, Jim Carnett, Cornette's part of that group, but he's not. He's not part of that group until Mid-South. He's not part of the Midnights until Mid-South. And so, like, that's the one fact that, like, everybody on, like, the cult of Cornette or something notes. Like, <laughs> oh, you know, he's not – and I, I get it. It happens. You know, I'm rushing. Like, I'm working off something Greg Oliver, another wrestling writer, wrote and just kind of pulling that out for that section because, like, I want to get to my Coco Ware material. Right. You know, because Coco gave me all these quotes. So I was like, I got to get him in there and get, yeah. to, and get to the Nick Gulas uh, stuff much faster. Yeah, I don't know if – I think there might be some questionable – dates in the book about the lucha like it may not be like it which is a little oh, harder wow. to find so you, do you think there are a few that are off in, a in few the like blood. off by a couple days i think there might be i mean i tried pretty hard to to you know for the stuff that's historical in my book i tried to do a pretty a fair amount of research and we had some editing but you know it's hard to exactly say when when a match happened in monterey mexico well, that's <laughs> really tough too yeah i mean if you're working <laughs> off a tape that you got right i mean you pretty much got a uh, maybe you have some some accounts, uh, maybe from somewhere. Maybe Meltzer yeah. wrote something about it, or somebody like that. And, or, and, I, and I mean, we try to do a different thing in the book than you're trying to do in an obituary, right? It, it's much more about the context of the match itself than history. History, and you know, I say a bunch of times in there, it's like, yeah, this is this is the story. Who knows? <laughs> but 
but it's it's usually good. It's a lead in. You get a lead into who the guys are. You know, you yeah, like the the Mexican stuff in particular in your book. I didn't know at all. Like I didn't know who was a good bleeder down there. I I didn't know. I didn't know how frankly how like like blood gurgling, blood gurgling, blood drinking. I didn't <laughs> I, I didn't realize that that was as big a part of and that just reflects that's that's one area like domestic, especially territorial. I know pretty well mm. Japan, it's okay, but Mexico kind of getting into the getting into unknown territory for me. And uh, I just didn't realize like there was such an emphasis on blood. Oh, there, the- there is and there isn't, right? I mean, you know, the thing about Lucha Libre is, is a, as a style is it's not one thing, right? So a lot of people thought Lucha, you know, the idea of Lucha Libre in their head is the stuff that WCW did in the 90s, right? Which is a, a part of it. But part of it's also, you know, very, very technical wrestling. I mean, there is some, mm. you know, a lot of very, very technical mat wrestling, very heavy mat wrestling stuff in there. And wrestlers who are, you know, as as skilled on the mat as the best guys in Japan or in the United States or maybe more. And then there's, you know, these sort of, uh, uh, a matches where you put up their hair, they put up their yeah, mask. That's what, those... I mean, that's, what I, that's what I know. Like, I'm like, Oh, it's, it's, it's mask versus hair. That's the big thing. Right. And that, that's big too. But you know, it's, it's like all kinds of wrestling, you know, I don't know if there's any, I mean, some of the styles, you know, there's not a gigantic amount of variety in like, shoot style I mean, well, but maybe there is but you know what I mean but like something a country like Mexico where we've been doing all of this stuff uh, this uh, over at Segunda Caída which is my blog we've been doing a big big overview of all of French wrestling from the 1950s to the 1980s yeah, you have something, the book opens with some stuff on that right like yeah. it opens yeah yeah those and that stuff totally a black hole for me but, well it was a black uh, hole for everyone until about two years ago I mean we basically were able to you know let's I, I'm gonna I'm not gonna go into the details of how folks I know in us got a, our hands on the footage but it wasn't something that outside of maybe a half a dozen matches just nobody outside of France in the 1960s had ever seen this stuff and then we just were able to get our hands on virtually all of it so that's kind of one of the big projects we've been doing over there is cataloging you know this huh. country and this style you know basically from scratch and that's a country you know the handful of matches that had been out before were of a type and then you when you get into more of it you realize okay they're very there's these middleweight stuff that's really athletic and looks like almost like pwg except it's 1957 and then there's like you know really really stiff brawls and there's very you know character stuff with guys in you know crazy outfits and masks and quasimodo and the nazi doctor and just like you watch it go oh this is as varied as u.s wrestling or or mexican wrestling or anything else right or this is as different as fmw and rings or, you know. yeah, yeah, like in, in my mind, like I, I have a tendency like to stereotype that stuff. Oh, English wrestling, small ring, kip ups, uh, you know, or big fat guys bump bellies, you know, like one or, or the other. Maybe there's like a caricature, racist caricature gimmick in there, and that's English wrestling. Or like like auto ones, you know, big fat guy, round system, uh, you know, like these just generic. But of course, there would be much, much more because right. it's wrestling, and every I guess every territory, every place would run the full gamut of stuff brawls characters all that stuff you know there's a great dusty Rhodes quote i love that like wrestling's like a circus right if you don't want to see the strong men you're gonna come see the acrobats you know as the acrobats you can see the tigers and so yeah so like you know just it's like that too where yeah you're gonna there's some tigers but there's also some acrobats and there's some uh uh yeah but i'll have to send you some clips of some of the best french stuff yeah there's there's some stuff in there that's really there's this one match um from the 70s where the, there's four guys, two, two of them I think are from Portugal, 
And because that's the other cool thing about this footage, you get to see like this is what Spanish wrestling must have looked like in the '60s, and this is what Portuguese wrestling must have looked like in the '60s. But these two guys in Portugal, and they it's called a spaceman match. And basically, what happens is they have these giant springs outside the ring, and to get tagged in, these guys shoot. 17, 18 feet in the air onto these springs into the ring. It's, it's the craziest thing you've ever seen. I gotta see that. I gotta see that. That doesn't even that. That's 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 next level stuff. Yeah, and it was. And then Ray could tell that they really figured out how to actually work a wrestling match in this context. But it's pretty crazy. These guys come in and just like fly fifteen feet in the air off these springs and land on their back. And you're like, how am I supposed to buy a body slam after that? He just took a flat back bump off 15 feet into the air in a spring. He kind of got back up again and did head scissors. But uh, it was kind of, so it's kind of a, it's a little bit of a mess of a match, but it's like a spectacle. It's just like, what is that? And there's some stuff where they wrestle in swimming pools where the ring's surrounded by a swimming pool and guys are taking bumps in the swimming pool. So it's, it's some pretty nutty stuff, which is not at all what we're talking about here. We're talking about Smoky Mountain Wrestling, which is, yes, yes. Uh, you know, as a guy who grew up, you know, the, you started watching wrestling in the mid '80s was when I was my yeah, sort of yeah. time, and had a big fondness for that style, that NWA style, that territory style of wrestling. Yeah. Smoky Mountain was this weird thing that was almost was doing that sort of after it had kind of already the time had passed for it. It was kind of like a timepiece promotion, like a but but not like but it was still sort of. Like WCW was still doing a brand of it, you know. Like there were still some of those guys in circulation in WCW. In USWA but, but the, but was around too was, in Memphis. Yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah, like that stuff. Like Lawler was doing his thing. Like that stuff was still around. But it's like Jim Cornette is a strange character, and that it's like he's young enough that he almost was experiencing nostalgia for the era while he was in it. You know right. what I mean? Like he was like he was like experiencing history passing while he was. You know what I mean? Because he was still young. He's such a young man when he breaks in. Uh, and it seems like he's always been chasing 10 years before he started managing. And, you know, you know, I think at this point, wrestling was moving much quicker than it yes. is now. Like, there's not a gigantic... I mean, hell, if you looked at a, a WWE card from 10 years ago, it'd be it'd be 70% of the same guys, and the yeah, style yeah. would be the same, and it would be like, Dolph Ziggler would still be there in the mid-card, and I mean, just like this... Whereas, well, my, you know, my mind for the matches of, like, 2012 to now, I just feel like it's the same. Like, somebody will be like, oh, yeah, the Yes Movement, WrestleMania 30, and I'll be like, oh, yeah, that just happened, right? <laughs> and you're like, you know, no, the difference between that and now is the difference between, like, Hulk Hogan and Luthaz. That's the time difference between the two. You just don't realize it. And, you know, so this was 95, right? So certainly there was a very active Memphis wrestling scene in 1989. Right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, we weren't that far removed from this. And all these guys, I mean, you know, certainly Smothers and Anthony were guys that were, you know, part of that, you know, territorial, continental you know, yeah, Memphis I mean, Smothers, stuff. Smothers goes from that good WCW run in terms of tag team work and in terms of performance work, and in S and in Smoky Mountain, he's like, he's like a, almost a, a main event guy and a main event guy. Like like him and the Dirty White Boy teaming up is like teaming up Superman and Lex Luthor. You know, by the time you get to this particular match, because he's this is like what, a year or two deep into the gangsters' run in, in right. Smoky Mountain? They've already... Close to the end, right? I mean, it's they, not they far from the coming They won the titles uh, off the, the Rock and Roll Express by affirmative action or something like that. That was the gimmick as to how they got the belts. Uh, they got by threatening a lawsuit for discrimination. 
they get the straps that way. Um, then, then they <laughs> you, have so they have the they have the rock and roll feud. Then they then their feuding right smothers with different partners before the dirty white boy teams up. Like so, one of the Armstrong boys and Boo Radley, and then the dirty white boy is brought in for these the like the the last final push to beat the gangsters. Right. And it's funny, you know, a lot of that new the new Jack stuff from that era, the interviews and the promos, it's really compelling. He was a really, really yeah. compelling performer. But you could definitely tell the parts of the gimmick that were new Jack and the parts of the gimmick that were Jim Cornette doing weird racist shit, like you're winning the title versus affirmative action. And like there was some stuff in there. There was some stuff that like you could tell like New Jack was like, fuck, I gotta say this. I wanna talk about you know, I wanna talk about uh, uh all of this how everybody here wants to see me uh, you know, I'm not going to step and fetch it and eat fried chicken. And that stuff you could tell was coming from like a place in New Jack. He killed that. He was so good at that. he was so good at delivering those those lines. And then like you had that. to like they threw in some stuff in there, like the referee only's got to give us a two count instead of a three count. That was just <laughs> clearly just Jim Cornette working through some fucking racial issues of his own in this or whoever was chasing cheap heat too. I mean, he's always chasing cheap heat and always and he didn't need it. I mean, New Jack's the heat that New Jack would get from just doing his stuff. You didn't need that. You really didn't the need Martin, the affirmative like action. The O.J. Simpson and Martin Luther King lines were enough. That should have gotten heat, like and did like nuclear heat. It did <laughs> nuclear heat. Like and that stuff you felt was I felt was New Jack, right? That stuff was yeah. that guy being an incredible promo and just delivering kind of his own thing. Whereas like some of the other stuff felt a little uh, cheap. But man, that stuff he's. I never, this was, I think, the peak for him. I, you know, obviously he got more famous in yeah. ECW. Yeah. But ECW, I don't think, outside of maybe initially, really knew how to use him. No, and physically, physically fitness-wise, he's the fittest he is in, in SMW. Uh, Mustafa Saeed looks his best. They're still young up-and-comers. Like, they're not as beaten up. Um, yeah, this is as good as it, I think this is as good as it got for them as a performance package. Yeah, you know, New Jack's, at some point, if you just dive off a balcony three times a week, you're going to fuck your knees off. start slowing down. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah, like, I, I fell down some steps, like, a couple years ago, and I was, I was like, I fucked up for a week or two, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's like, Jimmy Snuka didn't do the splash off the cage uh, in Baltimore and then in Philly and then the Boston Gardens and then in MSG, right? He saved that for he did it like three times ever. Uh, yeah, New Jack would do that stuff at a spot show. Like if you just like, oh, you know, TNA is bringing him in for a shot in 2003 for two minutes. We just need you to fall off a 15 foot balcony. Will you do it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so and, and so yeah. I mean, it, I think it, his his body deteriorated pretty quick. A lot of these guys. Who work that kind of style? They've got short runs. You know what I mean? Uh, that style in particular. That's that's the crazy. He's not he's not quite working that style here. No, this the is much more of a traditional southern brawler, and it's a hell of a match. I mean, it really is. It's funny. I just right before I recorded this podcast, watched the Malice in the Palace documentary on Netflix, which I recommend. Uh, for anybody who's a sports fan to watch great that, story. that's a great story. And this had the, this had that this had the, the capacity, right? It didn't happen, but like if it wouldn't have shocked you if all of a sudden New Jack waded into the crowd and started punching some guy with a Confederate flag, or somebody started throwing. I mean, it, it definitely that it had that same sort of aura of this is this might be a race riot. This is right on the edge of being a race riot. And I think this is what the gangsters brought. 
that was compelling in wrestling right around the point where wrestling was stopping being something that people who were watching it really believed in. I mean, this is the tail end of the stuff. Right? I think that's the last. I think that's it. I think that's really the great contribution of this feud. Like this are the feuds that the gangsters did throughout SMW. They were like ten years ago. This would have. Like, had they been in, like, the Grady Call Center 10 years ago in Charlotte or 20 years ago, that would have brought the house, like, the house would have burnt down. I mean, like, the, the fans wouldn't have even showed as much restraint as they show here. Right. They would have just been, like, the blood would have been everywhere, and it would have been, it would have been vicious. But, like, New Jack does help with that pivot, though. Like, this is the pivot. He's able, he continues to kind of do this. And eventually you can just watch this like we are and critique it on its... Mer- you know what I mean? Like the merits of like, is he is he building good heat? Is this well constructed? Like, are the, is it hot? Is the crowd hot? You know what I mean? Like those kind of things. But like it, you do this in 1985, not 1995. And like, it's not that the crowd's hot. It's like the crowd will probably just want to kill you. Like yeah. just literally kill you. They, it, they, were, they were still doing that. They were doing Jim Cornette knew how to do that. But like this was it was moving out of that era. I think you made it really good. Like that's moving out of that era. That's coming to an end. Yeah, now I mean, now it's, I mean, I don't want to mean to sound like a grumpy old man, but now you know the relationship that fans have with wrestlers—it's a parasocial relationship, and they yeah. follow them on, watch them play video games on Twitch, and if they're heels, they're not booing them. They're not booing MGF because they hate MJF. They're booing MJF because MGF is really good at playing the role of a professional wrestling heel on television, and that's a very different thing. And you know, sure, maybe a healthier way for people to approach uh, entertainment. Than necessarily coming to uh, to uh, you know someplace in 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 uh, Southern Virginia with a knife because you want to stab you, Jack, because that the the <laughs> racial slur in your mind said something on TV you didn't like. I mean, it's probably healthier that you just want to uh, you just want to take a Instagram picture with them and then follow mm-hmm. them on uh, on Twitter. But it certainly, in some ways, wrestling is missing that legitimate feeling of out of control danger. Uh, you know, now it's a diff- it's a different thing. And then, you know, I mean, there's still still like dangerous plunges and stuff that happen in AEW. You know, like there, especially in AEW versus the WWE. But there, but it's even that's much more controlled. These guys are better trained. Uh, oh, it's a difference. I'm not talking totally. necessarily about danger. Danger. No, in not, the even ring. Da- not even danger in that sense. But like everything is different. Yeah, and you're and you're right. Like if you have a favorite villain, you boo him using or, or her using their chant. Like you boo, like even booing them is programmed. You know, it's all right. you're booing them for the act of booing them. Like it's the booing performance. Like, oh, he's the heel, he's the face. I know I gotta boo him, so that's gonna be part of my contribution to the show. We're all acting in the show versus, you know, if the bad guy came out, you just booed him. It's very organic. Right. Like, this, I hate that guy. There's some guys in this audience who are waving Confederate flags. Who, yeah. if they caught New Jack in the parking lot. And were yeah, and, and New Jack what didn't have his gun would I mean that that is the, the atmosphere this is still of this. That time. Yeah, this, is still, this I think this isn't Charlotte. This is that time, and uh, like, yeah, the 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 amount of Confederate flags in this angle, uh, Smothers had done like during his big feud with a dirty white boy. The dirty white boy, his partner here, burns the Confederate flag. Yeah, hell so yeah. A fl- so Cornette <laughs> does a flag burning angle. Um. You know, the dirty white boy is playing a Yankee or the Yankee lover, loves the New York Yankees and stuff, and he burns the Confederate battle flag. You know, that's like like you were saying, Jim Cornette ideas. That's like a Jim Cornette special right there. 
we're going to burn the Confederate battle flag and get heat. You can't do that anymore. That's one you can't. I mean, that's not going to get heat. Like, that's not going to come out. I mean, I know from the nature of the Smothers obituary and its eventual uh, where it ended up. And, you know, like I the the time has passed for all that. But like (laughs) the fact he burned the Confederate flag as an angle and the guy defending it was the hero. Fucking welcome to the resistance, Tony Anthony. Yeah. <laughs> Can I stand a woke king, Tony Anthony, yeah. like a dirty white boy, showing him yeah. how it's done? Let's go. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and uh, I did. I, I'm, you know, actually surprised they never had New Jack burn the Confederate flag. That uh, would have been. I mean, that would have been a great. That would have been. I mean, he certainly, I think he certainly spits on it a couple times, and and he throws it to the ground. And, yeah, but uh, having him wear it, that would have been... I don't know if that would have been a, like a cornet special. or New, <laughs> I think New Jack himself might have liked that idea just to infuriate people in his own way. Um, I don't I don't know, but I think, yeah, that that's something they could have done. They, they didn't do it. Uh, but It's interesting. I know the, and the... It's funny because they announced the gangsters from South Central Los Angeles. Yes. And it is... But those guys are Southern dudes, and it's really oh, clear. I think that was it. We're talking about the Cornette ideas versus the New Jack ideas. Like it is so obvious that New Jack and Mustafa are, are guys from the South. Well, you even know? when they're shooting those South Central LA skits that they did, it's like a, it's like a housing project in the South somewhere that they just set up cameras in, and, and it looks like Southern African American culture. Like yes. that you see, it's. Like it's not like L.A. Raiders jackets all over the place or something like that. That's what Cornette would like to conjure up, but it's no, it's it's Southern black culture. Yeah, but they're playing guys from South Central. Well, I mean, it's 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 a creative misstep. Yeah, and I think you know, I I, I guess this is this is ninety five. Uh, I'm trying to think of exactly when uh, Thug Motivation one hundred and one comes out. Like that's. Uh, 2004, I guess, would be Thug Motivation 101. So I don't think you have got like your your Southern Black culture no. hadn't hadn't become as uh, hadn't dominated. I guess you know would you would this would have even been before rap a lot, right? It would have been like it would have been around Ghetto Boys time, but before Master P. If we're trying to I mean, place I think this that, in I think rap, there's guys working like in Houston and stuff, like Fat Pat and stuff like that, who might be working in 97, 98. But I don't, I don't think. I don't think it's coalesced in the way that Jim Cornette, obviously Jim Cornette would have no idea about it, but I don't think it's coalesced as like we're recognizing that there are there are regional differences there as there are with everything else, you know. And so South Central L.A. is just this generic stand in Raiders jackets are just this generic stand in for generic black culture when you know but new jack is about as like representative uh, of atlanta as anybody could be you right. know like he played football clark university of atlanta which is the historically a historically black school there i mean yeah he's he's like through and through and mustafa saeed is i think from tennessee or somewhere i don't know what his his he had to have played some sport in college or something or in high school at a high level right. that's he's, he's a big big athletic guy he is a he, especially at this stage he is a huge could be in the wwe today with this type of size or or impact or anywhere like he could be I mean, he's as big as a guy like Moose at the very least, like at, th- at this point in his career, and he can move. Yeah, and can't I guess, talk. Like, can't I talk. mean, he had a he had a 
a charisma about him, though. He picks his nose. Yeah, he could pick but his I mean, nose. That, 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 but that was part face. of it, right? He was a guy with it's really, really good. A lot of wrestling is, is facial acting, right? His he mime work. Good, his yeah. mime work is really good. I think that's a very underrated part of this whole he of the whole crazy. thing. Yeah, he looked crazy. He did a nice job of of facial selling. I, I, I kind of like Mustafa. I think that guy's an underrated guy. I think at some point. I think he went down a f- maybe even quicker than New Jack did when you're talking about work. Yeah, he, he like jumps out. He like quits on the ECW right away. Leaves leaves New Jack hanging like a year or two into their run there. I think, and I don't know. He comes back. They have a feud in ECW, but I don't remember what he did when he left ECW. I have no idea what yeah, he just did left after wrestling. Right? I, I think he, I don't I don't remember him as a guy who was working a ton on your ECW nostalgia. You know. Oh, he, I don't know if he was called back at all. Smothers is. Uh, I don't think that. Uh, I don't think Mustafa Saeed comes back at all. Well, that's. I mean, the really crazy thing about ECW for something that wasn't around that long to to have an entire almost like like the equivalent of a of a hair metal band that still tours uh, <laughs> yes. tours county fairs, right? Like, you, oh, okay, well. We'll get Dawkins to play the county fair, and we'll get a, we'll get like Tommy Dreamer to still do his ECW shit like in twenty years yeah, yeah, later. Tommy Dream, yeah, they've all had like guys like that have had a much longer career selling the ECW nostalgia okay, and they ever longer. I mean, what was the last ECW show? Was what like two thousand? That was twenty two years ago. Tommy yeah, Dreamers. Yeah. Is, I don't watch Impact, but isn't he still on Impact? Still doing the yes, same thing? Yes. I, he, if he isn't, he was on recently. Like okay. he, I thought I saw him and Ken Shamrock in the same sketches. Like, uh, yeah. like I think he's there. Yeah, he's just trading on that that legacy, and nothing wrong with that. It's, just, it's been going on a long time. Yeah, it's like a hair rock band that's had one hit, but they've just they've just cycled it nonstop. Yeah, to get to, they're playing the you know they're playing you know Minnesota County Fair. This this oh, weekend, yeah. and so and Tommy Dreamer somewhere, you know, with the ECW shirt, get ECW chance at, at a you know at Northeast Wrestling Show, third from the top. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, get hit with a Singapore cane, throw chairs in the ring, um, fall through some tables, and maybe have a really heavy set guy do a moonsault, and you've got kind of. You've got a full ECW show right there. That yeah. would give, like, like you know, some of the ECW memories are like burned in my brain, but I can't place them as part of anything. Like, like Bam Bam Bigelow breaks the ring. Yeah, you know, I mean, they were like, they were really good at having you. moments. I, I you know, yeah. ECW is not. I, I, there's some, there's some. I have some ECW in this book, but it's not something that I think. As stuck yeah, with me as much as other there stuff. Might, there's much less than I thought there might be, but they're pretty representative of, of everything. I mean, I there's some to... greatest there's some greatest hits in there, yeah. uh, but for the most part, like it's it's a mix of, of things. Like I didn't know what you were going to pick initially because I didn't know your your preferences, but I was like, oh man, it's it's got everything here, you know. Yeah. It was but... when you hit the 2000s, honestly, that like the the 2005s and up that I was like, I really don't. A lot of this, I don't know. Because we're starting to move into like there's like indie stuff, but it's indie matches specifically that I haven't watched. Yeah, I mean, I, I tried to you know the goal when writing this book is I want I, I, and this is something that I've been doing. You know, I've been writing writing about wrestling for twenty odd years, and I think what I kind it kind of turned into my niche in, in the blog and then this book is to try to find some things that you know aren't necessarily as watched by folks that's what i do is i'm i'm, I'm your guy who's gonna find you something in a in a little mexican flea market somewhere that's awesome i'm not a guy who's gonna have an opinion on raw 
I'm not having an opinion on Raw. I don't watch Raw. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So I don't have an opinion on it. I'm not going to come on. Uh, I'm not going to do a podcast where I talk about it. I'm not going to write anything about it. You know, I'm not going to even, I mean, you know, I, I not even really uh, AEW, although, you know, I got, uh, you know, so a little more fondness from that, you know. But uh, it's just like, you know, I'm, I'm the guy who's going to find here, you know, what's really great. There's a really great 2021 Mickey Knuckles match. So that, well, I'm going to tell you about that. Yeah, somebody I mean, somebody else will tell you about what was good on NXT. You don't need I, I me for that. Do, I couldn't do the obituaries. I couldn't do some of this stuff if I were following the product obsessively today. Like if I were following it, like I might have followed it in '96 or '97 or 2004 or five or ten, I couldn't write about it. Like you know what I mean? Like I would be. It's almost like you need kind of a distance, for, especially for this. Like I, I feel like I need a kind of distance from it. Like I can see somebody can show me a promo. Like somebody sent me a John Cena Roman Reigns promo in the ring, and I can sort of see what they're doing there, and I can, I can understand it in the context of all this other stuff that I've watched. But it doesn't, you know, I'm not interested in the outcome of that. You know, I right. can watch no. it and be like, well, you know, if you need 200 words or 2,000 words on that, I can give them to you, and I can sort of fit that into something else that I do know. But I see that I'm not like like I'm not like lapping up every every bit of that. So when like book, so there's a book somebody like else at the ringer that's going to preview SummerSlam. Oh yeah, yeah. Or it'll <laughs> usually be on David Shoemaker's show. Yeah. You know, like his podcast will just cover that. You know, and then there are people that just cover. Think a lot David of time. Shoemaker wants to have on somebody who wrote an obscure book about blood. I could probably, I could probably yeah, juice I, my sales a little bit if I could get on his thing. You know, you, know, you never know. I'll, I, yeah, I'll, I'll ask him because there, they do, so, especially if something newsworthy happens about blood. So I did a piece for the Ringer on blood when there was the initial bleeding in the AEW. You know, there were some right. good bleeds. And they were like, okay, dig out, you know, give us something on blading. And I had just finished a few things where I was like, okay, I've got a fairly good understanding on the origins of blading and, you know, sort of the blading going off the TV. So I'll do that. So if something crazy happens with blood, then that's the end. So I want to talk a little bit about the match itself, the actual work in here, because I think the work in here is pretty excellent. Mm. Um, Very, very intense and worked at a real pace uh, that I think you see sometimes in these kind of Southern brawls where a lot of other matches from this era will be a lot more slow paced and they'll work some crowd stuff and they'll kind of build this kind of starts at 10 and goes to 11 and finishes at 12, right? It doesn't, there isn't any point where they, they don't build anything. They just come out and they go at each other for 12 minutes and then they kind of just ends. And I will say like, I will say like from the the standpoint, when it opens with the gangsta trio in the ring, including D'Lo Brown, New Jack and Mustafa Saeed and D'Lo to an extent, I mean, D'Lo had ups and downs, but like Mustafa and New Jack are as, as ripped there as they will be at any point in their careers. They're New Jack, particularly he's never, as the injuries mounted, it was clear New Jack probably wasn't like like training with the same intensity or any intensity, probably because he hurt so much. But like here, he still looks really good. And then when you know Smothers and uh, and uh, T L Hopper, as he's the wrestling the wrestling whatever uh, plumber or whatever he was known as in the WWF, the Dirty White Boy, come out. Um, Smothers Smothers is in great shape throughout his career. But in that kind of like southern worker way, you know, like he's 
he, he, I mean, he's, he's fit. He can do all kinds of stuff that a lot of like Southern workers were just starting to do. He's like the next evolution of, you know, Gibson and Morton and the rock and roll express. He's like the next kind of evolutionary move up. He does a little bit more. He's bigger. And uh, and then Tony Anthony, you know, he's he's wearing a T-shirt. Uh, he's got a great. He's got a great. Uh, yeah, he's a pretty. For his thing. He's, he's, he oh for, for for this character, yes, for this character or a wrestling, uh, you know, like a wrestling plumber. Sure, he is. Uh, he's got that. Down. Or when he was doing the dirty white boy gimmick in the feud with Smothers, like he's and he works at a good rate too. I mean, he's got the mullet, but he works at a good rate. Uh, he's in better yeah, I mean, shape he was, than he was. He started looks. out, he was part of the Grapplers, which were kind of like this, you know, technical heel team. Uh, you know, so he's got that in him. And obviously, you know, he moves into a different part of his career for most of it is much more of kind of like a, you know, a dirty, dirty, greasy haired brawler. So he's working. So is he working? Yeah, early they on were in the original Dirty that, White Boys. Like and then they were also the Grapplers. Yeah. yeah, Glenn could really wrestle. He had, he had he definitely had like some technical skill underneath the grease stained overalls, and it, and, you, and you can and kind stamina, of t- and stamina as this match pulls out for all of these guys. Yeah, and it what really was like I said the pace of it was very impressive, and just the sort of the 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 sort of frisson of it. I mean, this this really did feel like you in some ways like uh, somebody was filming this on their cell phone video for World Star Hip Hop. I mean, oh, it, just, it, the camera look moves it. and moves and moves. The camera is moving all over. The, sometimes you're wondering what's going on off to the to the right, but they are into the crowd really, really fast here. I mean, they had done some like no DQ brawls and stuff that I watched in SMW in the course of prepping different obituaries, but this one is out in the crowd there, and I, th- I think it's I think this is in Charlotte, um, uh, and it's out in the crowd fast. And there's yeah. just there's just constant movement, especially from Smothers and New Jack. New Jack and Smothers are going throughout this match. Yeah, and it, this is not a crowd. I mean, we talked about this earlier, I and mean, I'd be unnerved a little bit if I was New Jack and was brawling into this crowd. Don't think there are any black folks in attendance. I b- believe New Jack calls one out derisively at the very beginning. <laughs> In the crowd, I think he. Uh, but uh, outside of that, no. This is a this is a white, southern, poor. Uh, at, at the time this this happened, I wouldn't have known it. I in ninety five, I'm in Greenville, North Carolina, on the other side of this state. Now I can say it's a very representative look at uh, sort of sort of the south that the demographic of fans that would watch this at the time, or that I. You know, saw around. I mean, my my, and so it, it's a period piece in that sense. They are more restrained than I would have thought, given the number of Confederate flags that are in this crowd and it, the volume. There are a lot of them. There's probably like a dozen that right. you and can see. And not that many people in the crowd. The so a dozen Confederate flags no. about 125 people. So a nice percentage of the yeah, crowd yeah, that's brought right. Confederate flags with them. And they were they they're working fast. I mean, like. Uh, it's. I know it's not ECW hardcore, and if people get the hold of this and watch this somehow, it's not like ECW hardcore. But they're working chair shots really fast. They're in and out of the ring over and over. Um, Delo is just you know wrestling with with his partner, so it's like a three on two. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, it's not ECW, and but I mean, in some way, I like this stuff better. I mean, I think that sometimes the ECW stuff was a little more constructed and set up. EC, I mean, New Jack does some nice moves. Like he's got uh, he's got a clothesline off the apron at one point, like out deep into the crowd. Um, you didn't see that all that much in 1995. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, for sure. And he was, uh, you know, like you said, you talked about the pace that him and Smothers worked. That was a real. That was this this match had a for a match that is looks like a like a like a brawl outside a strip club. This match had a lot of work rate. I mean, they were moving and working at a real pace here, uh, which was really impressive. I mean, like you talk about the, these guys being fit. This this match takes cardio. This is twelve minutes of cardio, right? It, no, they 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 won't go this fast. Even in like uh, people probably watch like the like the Edge Randy Orton uh, you know like back like backstage brawl match at one of those pay per views. I feel like it happened yesterday, but I think it was last year. Um, and they're not moving at this pace. Now, granted, it's a longer match, um, but they're not moving at, at this pace either. Like Smothers is running for a good part of this. He's wearing overalls for some reason, but he's like he's overalls and no t shirt. But he's running at a, like a breakneck pace. So is New Jack for a good chunk of this. Mustafa Saeed is is moving as well. I, I just it's impressive to me that they're working this hard for a crowd of this yeah. size. Yeah, and I think this is the best match on tape that we've. This may be the best gangsters match on tape. Well, they a lot of times like when they were wrestling jobbers, it was pretty formulaic. Um, and then some of their like Rock and Roll Express matches, like th- they were they were pretty. They were more formulaic than this. Like this is, this is pretty cutting edge uh, in terms of the amount of stuff that's going on. Like nobody is. There's not a point. Usually with a match like this, one guy could lay on the ground for a good five minutes to take a breather, and nobody's laying on the ground. Yeah. Throughout the 15 minutes or so of the match, like nobody is resting. When do it? When like Smothers gets color? Who else gets color in here? I can't really I tell with New Jack and Tony Anthony. It's hard to say. Uh, I don't right, think this I, isn't I, like a big. This isn't a big gore match. The, I think maybe New Jack's bleeding. No, I think New, no, I think New Jack's bleeding. A, I, I got it pulled up here. I think he does. It's hard. I, I looked and looked, but definitely yeah. Smothers is bleeding. And he gets some pretty. He gets pretty good color uh, in general. Like he's got the full complement of southern right. worker skills. Like he can get color. Uh, he's got a mullet. Uh, he's actually he's in good shape, but has a gut at the same time. Like he, he, does he can work. A, he things. can work a match that, where he takes no bumps. That's a, that's a big part of being a yeah. great southern worker. Can you work a match where? You, can you work a no bumps match? Tasty's mothers can work a no bumps <laughs> match. You really, you know. And it was a funny thing. I mean, he was a guy who career really intersected a lot with your sort of next, you know, your ten years later generation of indie stars, CM Punk and Chris Hero and. He's there wrestling yeah. with with all of them, like in IWAMS. He's wrestling with them, and ECW. He's wrestling with some of these dudes. And it's like I feel like Tracy Smothers got a raw deal because, like, in, if he came along in like 1980, uh, NWA territories, he would have been. You could have packaged him as part of the sure. Rock and Roll. I mean, there Express. was that whole generation you know I mean? like of guys <laughs> who came a little too late. Brad Armstrong is screwed yeah, I don't over. Know. Brad Armstrong was around earlier. I. I'm, I'm thinking more like I'm thinking more like guys like Jamie Dundee and and and, oh, and, yeah, um, yeah. and uh, Brian Christopher. Definitely Brian Christopher. I've been watching rewatching some of his just Memphis stuff, or 
he had he had a full package of Southern worker skills with some some updated. Uh, I mean, honestly, offense. Brian Christopher, Jamie Dundee should have been made eventing the Mid South Coliseum for twenty yeah. odd years and bringing their back dads back in their sixties to be workers or yeah, seconds. Yeah. I mean, that feud should have lasted forever. And those guys kind of just. I mean, in some ways, Jeff Jarrett too, right? The guys who just came up, you know, were. Well, he he made the most of it though. Jeff Jarrett made the most of that style of guy. He made the most of it, like he. He he like forced himself to become to remain a semi star right. for thirty years. But like yeah, all of these men were improved versions of their wrestler dads in some ways. Oh. You know what I mean? Like maybe not in the, the biggest way of all, but like 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 Brian Lawler is like what would happen if you made Jerry Lawler lift weights, which he would not do. <laughs> Um, Jeff Jarrett is like what would have happened if you if you made his dad his dad was like a string bean body wrestler uh, in the, in the 70s but like if you made him lift weights you know they, they're all kind of improved I don't think in Jamie some Dundee weights. lifted any weights no no he was probably the you know actually and, and actually the dad had a nice physique yeah. for a couple years early on he was all of his height is unknown it's unclear to me it seems very short but I, I see 5'8 um I don't know if that's accurate. Five, seven, he just strikes maybe. me as like a yeah five four. He just strikes me as a five four man, yeah. like kind of like an Adrian Street uh, sort of physique. Um, but yeah, this match is is awesome in the sense that if you were in this crowd, you got so much value for your like five dollar ticket or whatever this was because they keep falling into you. Yeah, you got to be a part of this in a way that you know. Have you ever have you ever been to a wrestling match where there the, where there's been this level of crowd brawling no. around you? No, no, I, I've I've may either sat in like or like arena style seats, or if it's like a local event here, like Keystone or something in Pittsburgh, it's still pretty well. Like nobody's coming in to do this. I've never been in anything. I've certainly never been in anything with this level of, and that's why I'm more surprised by the fan restraint. Yeah, I, like, I've been in a couple. I, I went to a uh, an Omega show in North Carolina in the '90s that had a. Shane Helms Venom, who was Jason Arndt, who was the guy out of that group that should have been a huge star and wasn't for whatever reason. He was way bigger than the Hardys and and just as talented, but he ended up being Joey Abs briefly in the WWE. Oh, yeah, and yeah, never yeah. really, but I mean, it was a guy whose career got completely sandbagged by that gimmick, was never able to do anything. So it was him and Shane Helms against, god damn it, Kamikaze Kid, and it was like a you know, a guy who never went anywhere. And and, um, and then um, I think it was, and I, I wish I remembered the name. I think it was, um, um, uh, shit, another guy. And they had a brawl and we were sitting on a couch in like the audience, <laughs> like a couch there for some reason. And and uh, Joe, J- Jason Hart said, move the fuck out of the way and then powerbomb one of these guys right through the couch. Well, that's pretty – that guy was the best now that you – like that guy was the best of that Mean Street posse, which I constantly confuse with the Spirit Squad. Well, he was the only one of them not, who was like a wrestler. Those other guys were just – Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pete Gass had buddies. a hell of a look. <laughs> Pete Gass had a hell of a look uh, for not not a you know an interesting look. But yeah, Joey Abs could, could wrestle. I uh, – you know, but but yeah, this, this – the ending of this is actually – it gets kind of – the camera work is pretty solid throughout until you get to the to the end of this match, and then I, like it kind of there's a lot of darkness toward the end of it, and 
You're not really sure what how this ends. It doesn't really matter. Smothers is announced as the, the Smothers White Boy team are announced as the winner. But I'm not sure what the winning condition was here. They were just the guys. And like they well it looks to me like the gangsters left and it might have been the the winning condition might have been they just leave the street fight. Um and these guys win the street fight. But I, I watched that back like a couple times and I was like I mean there's some nice spots toward the end of the match that, that were were captured like, you know, uh reverse of a pile driver. There's actually a number of I think there's a couple of pile drivers in this match. That move that move has uh has disappeared to a certain extent. Um I think New Jack does a pile driver on a table at one point. Yeah. Somebody, I don't, I don't think it breaks, or if it does, it falls to the side or something. Yeah, it's definitely like uh, the kind of actually way you kind of want tables to break. Not no clean cut down the middle. It kind of just falls <laughs> apart. Looks like it's pretty heavy. Yeah, it may have been just a real table and not a not a gimmick, uh, or at least like a, a weakened real table or something. But there's there's some pretty sweet spots in here. Uh, I. The crowd's pretty hot. Um, it's it's. I mean, you know, I, I don't I don't know if you could have. I wonder what you could have done with the gangsters besides ECW. Could you have brought them right up to WWF and like done a nation of domination gimmick with them right away? Ninety five. I don't know. Maybe I. You know, obviously he couldn't do the thing. Uh, no, he couldn't do the thing. The best things he did were when he went there, where he shouldn't go. Like that was what he did. Right, like he wouldn't just be able like, to be New Jack in the team. WWE. I mean, they, they, when the idea that they were going to bring him in at one point, I think they were going to bring him in. He was going to be the guy that stabbed Cena. I think was the uh, was the was the was the original idea. Uh, when remember when Cena got stabbed? I don't know, it was a long goddamn time ago. But I think the idea was that initially the idea that they were going to bring in New Jack to do that. But I think New Jack had a little too much heat on him at that yeah, point yeah, yeah the, he'd actually stabbed a man by that point um with like a wolverine claw yeah i mean, in, yeah, I mean in a ring right i mean he almost that's killed great he moments. almost killed uh, the, the mass transit i was i was working yeah I mean, that's right he, he gave him that's right he gave him the deep gash um he gave he that guy in florida or whatever he cuts him with a wolverine claw and then he beats that old regional worker gypsy joe like half to death so he's got oh, three oh, to be three, fair uh Gypsy Joe, who is an all-time oh, so. great and an all-time legend. That's kind of how he wrestled all of his matches. You can watch Gypsy Joe work in the 70s against Russia Kimura. They're also, they also look like that. Back then. Like, Gypsy Joe lost, like, 60 pounds between then and the New Jersey. He did, but he did, not, he did not sell offense. He just took hits. Yeah, he just took a beat. I mean, he did. So, I don't know. I mean, I always, uh, at some point, maybe I'll have to, I don't know how I'm going to, uh, would would phrase it in the book, but my buddy, or Reverend Dan Wilson, who was a great Southern manager in, uh, in Wildside and Anarchy, I've had on the pod a couple of times to talk about some matches of his uh, that he was involved in, in the book. He's Gypsy Joe's uh, nephew, so maybe I'll have to have him come oh, on and, wow. and discuss the specificities of that Gypsy Joe New Jack. Well, New Jack says that New Jack says in his book that Gypsy Joe thanked him and said it was a good match. Yeah, no, that's what Gypsy Joe wrestles. He wrestles like that. You believe that? Yeah, yes, I believe like, that. I think this is how Jim, I think Gypsy Joe was like, cool, we're just going to fucking beat the shit out of each other. I'm, I'm okay with that. This is what I've been doing my entire career. I mean, you got matches in, in Wing where Gypsy Joe gets chairs broken clean over his head. He doesn't sell it. It's- I mean, I, I believe that when New Jack wrote it because he added the extra detail that was something like that. Like He's like, the guy thanked me and I found that to be really strange and I got the hell out of there. <laughs> 
Uh, and so that extra detail makes me think, yeah, he probably was. He was probably even puzzled by <laughs> getting thanked for that. Right. So seems, right. he seems might have been accurate. shooting a new uh, Gypsy Joe, but I'd have been like, yeah, let's go. I love it. This is how I want to wrestle. I'm, I'm a nutcase. Yeah, whole career of taking God, I'm going to have to get, if there's a way to Blade 2, I'm going to have to get some Gypsy Joe matches in there. The guy's I, the I would be best. all for that. I would be all, all for that. Um, what a... <laughs> To take a beating at that age is no joke. Yeah. Um, I, I was supposed to, uh, I remember I was going to go see, there was a Gypsy Joe Necro Butcher match in West Virginia. And, oh, I, and wow. a buddy what of year? mine, we're going to go, I uh, had an idea of going on a road trip there. And we got caught in like an, like the scariest thunderstorm I've ever been in my entire life. The windshield wiper of my car got ripped clean off my car so i just said okay we just i've got to pull off into a into a, whatever little town i'm in, in west virginia and just wait this thing out so we could we didn't make it unfortunately gypsy joe necro butcher very still very sad about that but uh that, i'm sure that was a brutal outing oh, it on tape. it's great okay okay necro butcher was great at working uh, working like oh, completely, he had a really good match against Abdul at around the same time too. He was a tremendous guy at working a guy who who's you know in his sixties and seventies. Like he's he's really good at that. He's an amazing. I'm working a guy who's in my six in his sixties and seventies. I'm gonna make him look like a credible opponent, even though he's he's very old. Uh, I mean, I bet he would have had an incredible match with like Satanico or Yoshiaki Fujiwara or whatever. I, uh, if this would be, this would be how I would if if I had ended up with a, winning the lottery or something in 2006, my wrestling promotion would have just been Necro Butcher against senior citizens from all around but the that world. That actually is that actually is a great idea. I mean, like the death match is ideal when you bring back in. The deathmatch legends of yore. Yes, exactly. I mean, I, you just roll them back in, and they're they're all coming in from the the sixties, seventies, eighties. Yeah, the sheep uh, wrestled till he wrestled until he was in the seventies. I think I was Ted on Brian Solomon is writing a sheep uh, biography uh, that's coming out in uh, uh, early next I year. I gotta read that. That'll be great. Yeah, uh, I, yeah, I didn't yeah, want yeah. to talk about the sheep, and yeah, he talked about the sheep wrestling. Was in FMW when he was in his seventies. Uh as a way to get like Sabu into Japan, he came in and wrestled Onita a couple times. You know, and those guys had great systems, like to to work a match at that age. You come in and do your specific thing, and then you you can you can bring it home quickly if need yeah, be. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I still my the favorite match I've watched my twenty Segunda Kaida's twenty twenty one match of the year is uh, is Black Terry versus Ricky Marvin, and Black Terry is inexplicably still one of the best wrestlers in the world in his mid sixties and is wrestling is working a match where he, he doesn't look like he doesn't, he doesn't look like he has, took a, a single step back from his prime and is getting, you know, huh. spun kick in the chest by Ricky Marvin and, and, you know, smashing uh, chairs and go taking dives into the floor and the whole thing. So, you know, it, it, some guys just have that ability to, to have no, uh, no uh, drop off at all as they get older and older and older. Yeah, it seems like deathmatch wrestling. For if once you've mastered it, if you've somehow are able to master it, you can do it for a long time. I, I don't, I don't know how. Like some of the like, it seems like once your body has proven that it can handle X X, you can just keep doing this indefinitely, and uh, you've got the whole you've got the whole system down. Whereas a true high flying style is probably going to limit your shelf life, or like a dynamite kid style. Is probably going to limit your shelf life. Well, do you think, do you think Dynamite Kid is bombs or is it steroids or it's steroids and bombs? I think it's yeah, it's the whole package. Well, those are I 80s mean, steroids, too. So you're a strength, uh, 
journalist. There's a difference between. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. What's well, it's, it's it, they, a lot of these guys were all using Diana Ball and things that really like what what you what you see with those guys, and it's really interesting. Is you see guys who are jacked with very rounded physiques, and then they have these really pronounced double chins, despite being very very like fit looking. And that's the result of the water retention from the types of steroids they were using today. Like when you see a guy of today, and I have to say allegedly, but when you see a guy of today, allegedly a longtime user like John Cena, he has perfected it. Like he he is he is using top notch like pharma grade GH and things like that. Lance Armstrong. Uh, yeah, yeah, they're, they're basically at that that level of precision. And whereas Dynamite Kid is like you know picking up Diana Ball from random ring doctors and ring rats as he kind of makes the circuit, uh, you know, like Saskatoon or something like that, just picking up uh, some. It could be oil. It could actually ster- be steroids. Who the fuck knows? You know, and you're just shooting it up, and then you're gonna down some pills and you're going to go, you know, flush it down with some alcohol. And that, it doesn't lend itself to a great, uh, a great look. And that's kind of why we don't really see, you know, besides the, the, like the strict drug, stricter drug testing overall, or like awareness of this stuff. You just don't see a physique like that or Dino Bravo's or Hercules Hernandez's or Kurt Hennig's anymore. Those, those looks are, are out like like Kurt Henning of today would look like John Cena. Yeah, like he wouldn't he wouldn't have that puffy face. Like, why does this guy who's jacked and so athletic have such a bloated? <laughs> well, they all have bloated, water retaining faces, and it's really int- one of the few who didn't. Uh, well, two people who didn't in that time. Three, if you well, one was Lex Luger who was who was knew his stuff. Uh, another was Sting, uh, and then the Ultimate Warrior. Yeah. Those were three guys who were sort of like newer looking. Hogan Hogan had a bloated face. Hogan had a Hogan actually understood what he was doing better in the late '90s with WCW. He was much, much more cut as like Hollywood Hogan than he was as like like big big boy Hulk Hogan. Yeah. You know, but that's a, that's a big aside. But like, yeah, I'm fascinated. <laughs> by the- by, I'm fascinated by that, just like you are by blood. I'm fascinated <laughs> by that evolution that gets us to. Because I, I think John Cena has a great physique. Bobby Lashley has a great physique. How do we get from there? How do we get from here to back then? And it's just a bunch <laughs> of amateurs just winging it. I mean, you watch early '90s uh, WWF like house shows, and you're just shocked at the size and roids up of even like Scott Casey. Watch a Scott yeah. Casey match first on the card in '91. You look at Scott Casey, you're like Jesus, Scott Casey. You look, like, I mean, this guy's like worked as like cowboy Scott Casey in the '80s. Is like, and now he looks like you look like a you look like Road Warrior Animal. There are random. There are random opening opening card guys who who are juiced and jacked uh, in that period. In a way, there aren't now. Like generally, like that's that's reserved for for top guys or you know attractions. But yeah, back then it it, it was kind of like it didn't necessarily fit. Like like when you like when Brad Armstrong was wrestling with his dad in mid eighties and mid eighties, like Jim Crockett, like in the tag tournament. Brad Armstrong has a Lex Luger-like physique at that point. Billy Jack Haynes has a godlike physique at that time. And then Rick Rude coming along a few years later. That's another guy that was really dry and really, really tight. But, yeah, the Scott Casey's of the world, there are a lot of guys like that would just hang around like WCW Saturday night that you'd come out and you'd be like, wow, this dude's huge. So, so he's just going to do the job. Like, what the fuck? Every hail. Like, 
the like, what would you, I mean, high like, voltage. What are, you pumping all this, what are you pumping all this iron for <laughs> if you're going to – just gonna do the job night after night. Yeah, the monkeys weren't wasting their money on steroids. No, no, they they that's that's a good example of cost effective, <laughs> cost effective opening opening bouts. You know, just go in there, nice slop like sloppy milkshake white bodies, and you go in there and just. Although I, I was watching a lot of their stuff because Bobby Eaton would give them a lot of the match. Oh, the bodies um, were great, man. They, you know, they, they could take huge bumps. They would really know how to pace the couple moments they'd have. I mean, those guys were great wrestlers. I mean, everybody's yeah. not, you know, you, we talked about it. It's the circus, right? Everybody, you know, everybody can't be the, the ringmaster. There, <laughs> you know? there are plenty of guys like the Dirty White Boy who may not look it, but they can just go for 30 minutes sure. and, and do like wrestling holds brawling and a number of other things they just don't look like anything yeah you know well, that's i liked when, I, I liked when i liked when wrestlers i you know i i like i like guys that you know i like when wrestlers were either gigantic uh roided monsters or fat guy and i think the problem with <laughs> wrestling now it's they all everybody just looks like crossfit athletes it's just less well, interesting most, yeah, yeah. like everybody's kind of a dolph ziggler yeah they're all kind of you know seth rollins dolph ziggler is kind of if you're not somebody that looks unique like bobby lashley or brian cage you're dolph ziggler or you're seth rollins right. or somewhere in between um that's why i'm actually like i'm entertained by the way chris jericho looks now i, I love to see that that's unique uh he's he's aging um, kids are going to remember how, like how Chris Jericho looks right now. Yeah, kind of like really sweaty. unique just cause like, <laughs> like when Ric Flair's body started going to hell, that's when I found it really fascinating. Like early to mid eighties, Ric Flair looks really, really good. But by the time it's like 92 Ric Flair, like his pack, like he's still in shape, but like his whole body is like melted around <laughs> him. And I'm like, this is great. Cause I, it's like very distinctive. So Jericho, like young Jericho, it looks like a like one of these types of like CrossFit style wrestlers. But as he ages, um, he's he's got a dad bod now. Yeah, the whiskey and the whatever, <laughs> the fried bod, food. Possibly, a, a, possibly a, a torn peck. I think he's got an unhealed torn peck, just like Kofi Kingston, because that that area has fallen. Like that's another thing I'm fascinated by wrestlers who either uh, like. A lot of times it's a, it's a it, it, they'll say, well, it's not steroids, it's a torn pec, but you generally don't tear your pec in the absence of training under the use of steroids. Like, so you're going to have a pec, you're much more likely to have a pec tear um, or just a muscle tear in general when you're juicing and you're sort of going above your natural capacity than you are if you're going to, uh, like uh, like a, a different type of injury would be like just random dude playing basketball blows out his ACL. That's like a normal injury, you know that could happen. But like like constant pec tears. Like I've got a guy that's like a world friend who's like a world champion bencher, and he said four pec tears. You know, like most people like have one is too many. You know, like that that creates so so like a lot of these unhealed strange chests that we see. Um, our pec tears. Uh, <laughs> Kofi has Kofi Kingston has has a completely flat, almost concave chest because of a pec tear. Chris Jericho, same thing now, except Chris Jericho is kind of like a dad bod as well. But they're still great wrestlers. I mean, they can still go in the ring. It's just like if you're a kid watching this, it's visually interesting. They look different yeah. than somebody like like Dolph Ziggler would be hard to remember in 20 years because not no knock on him. He's a good wrestler, but. <laughs> He, you know, he does the same. He's kind of like Shawn Michaels 2.0, like he cooked him up in a lab or something, you know, and he 
does a lot of that stuff. But like he, he, I'm not going to remember him, but I will remember like Otis. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like that's, I want to see like 10 guys come out like that and fight like 10 guys that look like Brian Cage. And then like they, there's got women in their corner that look like China or like the size of Alexa Bliss. And then you've got this really weird set of contrasts going on in the match. Yeah, that's right. No, I agree with you. You want some you want some <laughs> visual difference, which, you know, a lot of times, you know, like when I would go to ROH shows, like, you know, outside of Homicide, man, this is just a bunch of 5'8 guys in pretty good cardio. That is how I describe ROH. Yeah, it's it's guys between 5'8 and 5'10 <laughs> who, can, who could do cardio for 45 minutes if they need to. Yeah, yeah right. I'm like significantly less interested than this match, which has got kind of fat Tony Anthony and kind of, you know. Yeah, he, and who's, who still goes, <laughs> he keeps up the pace. Yeah. That's a really good part of it, though. D- I mean, D'Lo doesn't, isn't really technically like in the match in the same is. way, but he's, he's there. He's moving around. Mustafa Saeed is moving really well, mm. and he's probably pushing like 280 in this match. And then Tony Anthony just goes goes the whole time. Yeah. Like he and and again, that's a guy had had his runs, but I, I feel like twenty years ago, he's another guy that could have been main eventing some some territory thirty years was, ago. Right. And you know, before that in Continental. Main eventing SMW. Yeah, yeah exactly. That, that 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 was his destiny. He just probably had a would have had a longer run if he had started six years before he did. I mean it was kind of the interesting thing about this being the end of a the Smoky Mountain really being the end of a time in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, Smoky Mountain is like I was like a, I was an e-wrestling guy, like a fan fiction writer of wrestling from like 96 to 2000 and one of my friends Ryan Powell and I cooked up a league that was basically like a territory. But we all we did in 96 97 was really create SMW, which Jim Cornette had already cooked up as like a business model of you know, here's a territory where we're just like fighting that we're paying for TV time and we're we're fighting to get sponsorships and stuff like that. Um, yeah, Rick, R- Rick he had Rubin. Done it. Like Jim Cornette, Jim Cornette wrote the ultimate like wrestling history story and he still does. He's constantly pushing out. I mean, that man's been like in history since since he began giving interviews. Yeah, 1982 seems. or something, I think is when he started. Yeah, it's a timepiece. But yeah, I think people should watch this. I think they should dig yeah. this. I don't know how they get so, it. They should uh, dig well, it out. I'll, I'll give an answer to that. We have a, There's a viewer guide on on, on oh. Hybrid Shoot, which has got links to every match in this book that has is on YouTube or on. Well, I didn't even I didn't even know that. Okay. Yeah, if you look on the, 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 the Hybrid Shoot, if you, you Google Hybrid, you know, Way of the Blade View Guide. So this match is not on YouTube, but my DMs are open. So if anybody who's listening to this podcast wants to get their hands on this match, I can. I got a copy of it. I, I'll get it to you, uh, which is true of any of the matches that aren't on that viewer guide that aren't linked. There's a handful of ones that aren't linked because they're just not on YouTube or wherever. Uh, I got them all, so I can get them to anyone. Anybody who's listening to this and wants to watch it can get your hands on it. Yeah, folks who know my writing and, and have listened to it for this reason, yeah, yeah, I just I just went to the page uh, as well, and that – that is pretty awesome. Um, the fact that the links are there, and yeah, he yeah, Phil has this video, and I'm sure uh, many others. I got to check out this French stuff. Yeah, you got to check out the French stuff. You can look on segundakaida.blogspot.com and do like a search for French Catch. We've been reviewing it for. We've been reviewing. All, we're going to eventually review all of it. We've been doing it for a little over a year. Every Tuesday, we review a couple new matches. We're into the 60s now. We started in the 50s, and there's some stuff I'm probably going to. Uh, but yeah, so if folks are interested in the French things. Uh, Oliver, why don't you give me some plugs here? 
Uh, oh, absolutely. You can check out all of my stuff at OliverBateman.com. Uh, all of my writing is linked there. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Mustache Club US. And whenever I push a new piece out, uh, I always tweet about it, tell you to, to check it out. So folks want to learn more about what I'm doing with wrestling, go, go look at all that. Okay, great. Well, my friend, my DMs are open too. If you want to say hey or talk wrestling, just shoot me a line. Well, well I, th- I appreciate you coming on, my friend. This was a lot of fun, and uh, and uh, we will talk soon. And we'll be back next week with Absolutely. another episode of the podcast.